Good morning again, and uh, good morning to you in Wilmington. If you'll open your Bibles to John chapter 1, that's where we'll be this morning. In John chapter 1. We're at the place where the ministry of John the Baptist uh, begins to fade to black and the ministry of Christ begins to come into the picture. And what I'd like to do in the start is to use two words, to give you two words that are very similar, but what I want to do is highlight a difference that might be between them. Now, they're actually synonyms in the thesaurus. So the difference that I'm going to bring may not be as fully here. I'm just saying this for you dictionary people. Like, I'm just trying to do a good thing here with two words. Uh, so <clears throat> walk with me for a second. The first word is the word plausible. And the second word is the word credible. Plausible and credible. When we say something is plausible, we mean that this idea is believable. It could happen. So if uh, my kids were to hear that school tomorrow is canceled because there was a big power outage at the school, that would be plausible. They'd be happy and it would be plausible, um, though it is not true. But it's plausible. It is believable. Okay, if I said to you that before the trade deadline, the Eagles picked me up to be left tackle, that is not plausible. You could not believe that. Uh, So plausible is believable. Credible, what I think when I hear credible is I think of someone who has credibility. Credibility is... Uh, You might say it's the track record of proven trustworthiness that makes future trustworthiness worth trusting in. Okay, so if someone is credible, you're believing, your tendency is to believe on what they say based upon sort of their past. If a credible person says a plausible statement, it's convincing. If, it's, if a credible person says something that is believable, you, it, you're sort of, you're inclined towards belief because they have this bank of credibility. And that's why I would differentiate. Plausibility, the way I'm using it, means it is a believable idea. Credible has in it the, the substance to push someone towards belief. I want to read to you this morning of, uh, well, I guess here's my question for you today. The message of Jesus Christ that we carry with us, for those who are in Christ, this message of our Savior is a plausible message. People have in them a, a curiosity about the divine. And the message of the God from the Bible is a plausible, plausible message. My question is, is, do you make it credible? Do you, in the life, the way you live your life, take this plausible message and make it credible? 
That's sort of a, the larger question of the morning. And we're going to see it work out here a little bit in, in John 1. <clears throat> I want to read three verses to you. This is uh, 35 through 37. This is sort of another day in the life of the Gospel of John. Let me go ahead and read them. Verse 35, the next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Okay. I'm going to just say it. I'm going to summarize it again to you just to make sure that in your mind's eye you see what's happening. John the Baptist is standing. With him are two of his disciples. And Jesus walks by. And when Jesus walks by, John the Baptist says, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the text says that they heard him say it. And when they heard him say, Behold, the Lamb of God, they left John the Baptist and followed Jesus. I want to make it clear. When John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God, two of his disciples, two of his committed followers, leave him, as it turns out, they leave him forever. They immediately leave him and follow Jesus. They immediately leave him and permanently follow Jesus. John the Baptist didn't ask them to follow Jesus, didn't tell them to follow Jesus, didn't talk about it. There's, I mean, if we... The Gospel of John is made to be taken as it's given, okay? It's so wonderfully arranged. Take it as John gives it to us, John does not even seem to say to them, Behold the Lamb of God. It says he said it and they heard it. And when they hear it, they leave him and they follow Jesus. How does that happen? We should note at this point that Jesus has not done any ministry. Jesus has not preached. Jesus has not done wonders. Jesus has not defied the religious leaders, scored any points. In other words, there's no comparative repertoire of greatness that Jesus has at present in the gospel that's set beside and against John the Baptist. They're not sitting there going, well, John the Baptist, you know, he did a lot of these things. But Jesus, he's done a lot of these. Jesus has not yet done any of these things. None of it. John the Baptist says, behold, the Lamb of God. They leave immediately and permanently. They disassociate themselves from John and they associate themselves with Christ for the rest of their life. I think this is, uh, and we're leaving John, but as, a, as the, maybe the final reflection, at least for a while on John, 
This is maybe one of the finest marks of, of his greatness as a man. That the essence of his ministry would be so pure, so pure-minded and filled with purity as far as what was important. That when his disciples, when he, when he identified, he's the one that I've talked about. He's the one for which I've come to announce. When he did that, that there was nothing in his life that was keeping them with him. That is really remarkable. Doesn't it, don't you think, if you just think of yourself, don't you think you'd be tempted if you were, I mean, John the Baptist was great. Jesus says, of people born of man, there's no one greater than John the Baptist. Yeah, I mean, the whole region knows about John the Baptist. He is a great man. The king is scared of John the Baptist. And yet he hasn't, in all of that ministry, he never held on to any of that for himself, not even a little bit. He didn't take any credit, assign any sort of, well, this is, you know, that, oh, that was me. Those words, those were mine. Everything he's done, all of his greatness has set himself up for righteous abandonment. He's given his disciples no reason to stay. That's, that's worth noting. And if we said, well, why do they leave? If, John, if Jesus hasn't done anything yet, why do they leave? We, we should ask that. Why in the world would they get up and leave this great man to go to this person who... At, at present, to date, has not built a name for himself, has not established the credentials of greatness. I think, I think we'd have to say they're going based upon John's testimony. They're leaving John and following Jesus because of John. In other words, John is credible. It is worth noting in the Gospel of John that the first followers of Jesus follow Jesus not because of what they know about him, but because of the man who pointed him out. John's life is so credible in the faith. John is so legitimate in the Lord that it ca- he carries, his words he say carry so much credibility. This is where I would challenge us. I, I understand we carry a plausible message. It requires faith. It's not a no-brainer. It is, it, it, it is a faith idea, but it is still a plausible idea. Do you lend to it credibility? I'm inclined to think that these two men go after Jesus based upon their deep trust in John. Which is not that un- unlike that much today. Now, I'm not saying that John is common or that or we should all be just like John, but I will say this. Many people who are on their way to the Lord come because of the credibility of their friend. You invite a friend or colleague 
to come with you. They haven't met Jesus yet. They don't know what Jesus is going to say. They don't, they don't know all the stories. They're not deep in all of that. They, in fact, may have scars, religious scars from previous generations or family, all of those things. So the fact that they're coming to listen to something that may be plausible, they're riding on the credibility in the faith that you've established. Same thing's happening. It might not be so immediate and permanent, but it's the same principle. God has given us something that is believable. Our lives, God has given us the spirit to make the believable credible. And that's what John's done. Now, I want you to see what uh, these followers do. I'm going to read the first half of 38. Incidentally, before I do, just anecdotally, Friedrich Nietzsche, he's sort of a dark philosophical thinker uh, of the previous centuries. He said this, and this may be the same point from the negative side. He said, I would believe in the Redeemer if the Christians looked redeemed. That, That sort of gets to it now. You know, we don't want to broad, but I know it's plausible. Do you make it credible? Let's watch what happens. 38, John turned, or excuse me, Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? We'll just stop there. What are you seeking? These are the first words of Jesus in the Gospel of John, which is worth remarking about because of the way the eloquent way that John arranges things. I mean, John arranges his gospel in such an artful way that everything is on purpose. Everything is on purpose. So you get a a book where the preamble says that he's the word, he's God, in the beginning, light, he's life, he became flesh, he's the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Like all these great titles. And what are the first words that the word says? It's a question. What are you looking for? What do you want? Why are you following me? What have you come here for? I think we, I think the way, the way it's given, the way these are the first words of Jesus incline me to think that these words should stand a little higher than simply a conversation between Jesus and two men, almost, almost as a way of serving thematically for the reader. Almost as a way of saying, this question is a question everyone should be asked by the Lord. Why are you coming? What do you want from me? That the first words that Jesus says to the reader of the Gospel of John is, what are you seeking? Many of us, I'd say it's common, it's more common than not that many of us are propelled toward the Lord through some other problem, desire, hope, want. There's a marriage that struggles, someone comes back to the faith in that process, when they get on their knees and pray, they're praying like to the Jesus of their marriage. (laughs) 
When someone struggles with a job and they lose a job, they're praying to Jesus for provision. If someone struggles with addiction and that's deep in their life and they're on their way to Jesus, they come to Jesus because in Christ is freedom. When someone is alone and is struggling with loneliness and they come to Jesus, they come to Jesus because Jesus is a God of love who reaches his arms out and cares. So I'm not saying that to have, that to have a reason is a problem. I think it's common. But it is, it is important to know that I think Jesus wants you to know why you're coming. What are you looking for in him? One way to think about this is think of the thing that you always think about Monday through Saturday. Chances are you've brought it in here. Chances are, chances are it's working in you in the way you view and follow Christ. If you're here, you're, you're following in some kind of way. I'm not saying you're a follower of Jesus. I'm not saying you're one of the faithful, but you have started to walk after him by virtue of the fact that you're here or that you're watching or that you're connected in any sort of way. You are following after, and he's turning around to you and saying, what are you looking for? What's your motive? It may be a point of care. Little things have a way of bringing us to Jesus. Little things that consume us have a way of clouding us from Jesus. Do you know what I mean? It's a point of care. It's, it may be okay if you're being spurred back to Christ through a little thing. It's not okay if you can't see the majesty of the Lord because this little thing has consumed your vision. Maybe that's what God is working out and pushing this question on us. Why are you here? And his disciples give a really great answer. His disciples, uh, they answer with a question. Let me read, I'll read the rest of 38 and 39. So Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, what are you, where are you staying? He said to them, come and see, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. So Jesus says, what are you seeking? And they say, Rabbi, where are you staying? And I don't think they're being snarky. I don't think they're like, well, where are you staying? I actually, I, I think in their custom, they're answering his question. And you can tell that, first of all, by the title they give him. So he says, what are you seeking? And they immediately respond with his title. They give him a title, rabbi, master, or teacher, okay? It's a place of position. So if he is their rabbi, then they are his disciples. So merely by saying that, they've established the ground rules. You're the master, we're the learner. And in that vein, when they say, where are you staying? The, essentially, the answer is, when Jesus says, what are you seeking? 
They're saying, wherever you're going is where we're going. What are you seeking? They're essentially saying, we're seeking whatever it, you have to teach us. Whatever it is you have to give, that's what we want. That's the disposition they have, right? They're placing themselves, they are, in a sense, this is an agendaless answer. It's, it's a, it is a beautiful answer. Would that we could all give such a fine answer before the Lord. And the disciples, you know, we know the stories. The disciples get a lot of things wrong all along the way. They kind of stumble through who Jesus is all along the way, but they got it right, right here. This is good. What are you looking for? Well, I know who you are, so I'll take whatever you give me. That's a good answer before the Lord. What are you seeking? Lord, I'm seeking you. Where are you staying? That's a good answer. I think, I think many little things kind of maybe spur us towards the Lord. I would, I would that as the years grow on, we would grow to say, he is Lord. I'm his learner. I'm his disciple. I'm his student. I'm his follower, and I follow him to receive whatever it is he has to give. In other words, I don't even presume to know what I ought to have. I don't even presume to know that the things I think are problems are the real problems. My master and my teacher and my Lord and my Savior, he knows because he's my master and my teacher and my Lord and my Savior, and I just want to be with him because whatever he gives me is what I need. That that is a good follower of Jesus. Maybe what spurs us to follow is uh, one thing or another, but what creates a longtime follower is the notion that Jesus is our Lord. And to this person, he says these simple words come and see. Come and see. We should note again, they haven't seen anything yet. Literally, you've seen nothing yet. They don't. He's not healed anybody. He's not given a fancy sermon. They are by faith off, I think, the credibility of John. Right? They are in faith placing themselves beneath somebody without knowing a whole lot of stuff. They don't know they may not know all the words of the Bible, and I'm saying this so that you can hear it. You don't. The invitation of Jesus is not based upon how well equipped you are in the faith. The invitation in Jesus is based upon how you answer, what are you looking for? What do you want? Come and see. I think that basic impetus of faith, I just want to maybe, even for some of us, just put a period there for the sermon. Maybe that's just what you need to hear. That you don't, you may have come, you may not even know the, all the notes and words to the songs or how this religious crowd does things. I just want you to let that shed away. We are all flawed followers of Jesus. He wants to know what you're looking for.
And if you're looking for him, we'll come and sit. That is the beginning of following. Now, these we get to learn a little bit, and I'll, we'll close with this last reading. We get to learn a little bit about these, these disciples. Let me read 40 to 42. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Now let me just clear up a few details here. So one of the followers is Andrew. We never really find out who the other follower is. The custom and the tradition of the church is to believe it's John the writer. The author of this gospel has a real affectionate, fun way of hiding in his own stories. So John writes, sort of grins and writes this gospel like hiding behind the lamppost. It's, uh, and it's, it's, if you sat down and read the whole letter, you'd, you'd find that and you'd feel it and it would just be fun. So the custom is, is that John is the other person. He just doesn't want to talk about himself. And, but Andrew is this one and he finds his brother whose name is Simon Jesus is going to say, you're going to be known as Cephas or Peter. The Aramaic Cephas means rock. The Greek Petra means stone. And we never really translated it into English. So if we really had a fully translated Bible where we added another note, it would be Cephas, Peter, or rock. If you have a note. So, so there's, there's, that's a little bit of the detail on the back as to why some of that is. John's writing in Greek, and so when he uses an Aramaic word, he sort of parenthetically fixes it for the Greek. Rabbi, that means teacher. Cephas, that means Peter. But let's just, I wanted to grab three quick things from Andrew. Just really interesting things. First of all, Andrew has this knack of bringing people to Jesus. He does it several times, by the way, through the Gospels. He's always a bringer. He's a fetcher. He's got that simple faith. Again, he doesn't know that much about Jesus. This is the first day with Jesus. But based upon apparently the credibility of John the Baptist, he goes and grabs his brother. I have to wonder if Andrew and Peter, I wonder if Andrew said, hey, you really should come out and hear John the Baptist preach. And Andrew, Peter, who's a fisherman, said, like, is he the Messiah? And Andrew would be like, well, no. Well, then don't talk to me about him. You come tell me when you find the Messiah. Like then I'll, because Peter's, Andrew's not dragging his brother to see John, but when Jesus shows up and he knows him for half a day, hey, I found the Messiah. And he brings him to Jesus. And as I read that, all through this message, I've thought, you know, where do we put a period? For some of you, maybe you put the period on the sermon as, I know the message is plausible, but is your, is your testimony credible? Maybe that's where you need to sit today. For some of us, we need to sit with, why are we coming after Jesus? Some of us need to sit in the confidence of, we don't need to know everything. We don't need to know all the answers. We don't need to have it all figured out. 
if we want Jesus, that he wants us to come and see. And for me, I sort of sit here with, Lord, I would that I'd be more like Andrew. I would that I would have a great holy grin and just invite the world into his goodness. You know, blessed are the Andrews of the world. And uh, maybe that's where some of us need to put a prayer. The second thing we see, so Andrew says, come. The second thing we see is he identifies Jesus as the Messiah, which when I first started studying this, I found a little shocking. I went, wait a second. They don't know he's the Messiah yet. But he does. He says he's the Messiah. Now, if I think of the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they have this tale that takes place in the middle of the Gospel. And in the story, and it's a true tale, so it's, it's, I don't mean like fictional, it's, it happened. Jesus is sitting with his disciples one evening, and he says to his disciples, who do the people say that I am? And they say, well, some say you're Elijah, some say you're a prophet, some say you're other things. He says, well, who do you say that I am? And Simon says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. You're the Messiah, the son of the living God, to which Jesus says, Peter, it's true that this thing that you say, and it's from the Lord, and it's not from you, and you are Peter, rock. And on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That moment, which sounds very similar to this moment right here, takes place later. And for a while, I was a little bit struck. How does Andrew know he's the Messiah? And of course, he knows because John the Baptist has been saying it, but it feels premature to me until I realize this is exactly what I did and it's exactly what you did. All of us who come to Jesus, when we come to Jesus and declare that he's our savior, do you really think we know the first bit about that? (laughs) Do you really think that we are more than an inch deep in the kiddie pool on the greatness and the goodness of the Messiah, Savior, Jesus Christ? Like I suppose if I live to be a hundred and ply my life into the depths of the faith that I'm still an infant in the knowledge of the goodness of God through Jesus Christ. We, we use these phrases and terms so quickly in our lives. We, we use the biggest words in the language of mankind in day one of our faith and spend the rest of our life coming and seeing what it actually means. I think that's what Andrew's doing. Andrew has the right answer and has no clue who he's talking to for real. And the rest of the gospel is going to show that Andrew has to look and come and learn and refine and rethink and be wrong and then finally be right. All through that until finally he knows who he is and he gives his life for him. It comes slow. And so that, that notion of Andrew knowing the name of Jesus without knowing anything about him is set right beside Jesus meeting Simon for the first time and knowing him entirely. It's this beautiful contrast of Andrew who gets the title of Jesus right but doesn't know him maybe from Adam and Jesus who sees Simon for the first time and knows everything he needs to know about him and says, you one day are going to be the rock. That's, that is just the goodness of the Lord. You're invited in without hardly knowing anything. And the moment you're in, 
If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The moment you're in, you're new to him. And he begins through the work of his Holy Spirit to pull and grow in you this new person. It's so wonderful. You know, God has, I always wonder, what's God's name for me? One day I'm going to hear it. I want to grow into it and I want to live into it and I want to hear it. But he knew me from the moment he met me and he accepted me when I barely knew him. I knew his title and I kind of wanted to follow. And he said, come and see. Let's go ahead to Lord in prayer. There's so many different places we can pray about this. So I hope you would feel invited if you're sitting there going, can he be my Lord? I hope, I don't want to call you prematurely into Christ. But I do think this lays out well, what does it mean to be his? And so I invite you into the truth of the word and encourage you not to delay. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your kindness, your kindness to mankind, the way you came to us and then called us to yourself. In the way that it's not sloppy, Lord, you, you're concerned. Why are we following after you? What is it that we want, Lord? And for those here in this room who may have been chasing the Lord in order to get something else, illuminate that, Lord. Shine a light on that. For some here, Lord, that have been delaying calling themselves followers because they don't know enough, I pray you would illuminate that, Lord, and call that to task. If, they, if we want you, Lord, then we follow. And that's what it means to follow. Lord, I pray blessed are the Andrews in our fellowship. Encourage them. We thank you, Lord, that you see who we will be we see who you are making us to be and that you know us so well. And I pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.